expressed in this podcast did not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Listeners should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Dan, everybody. This is Dan David coming back at you. We've got a full pack here today for our special guest, Nick Reed of the MPI, the Moving Picture Institute. Pack constituting of Sound Carl. That's right. Because he likes that name. And we have, uh, I don't know, uh, Sound Andrew. Still looking for a nickname. Yeah. Now you're not going to get one. <laughs> and uh, Tick, who's actually doing some of the sound stuff. And look, this is going to be a special show. Tick might actually speak this time. Because we are talking about movies, and he is an actor, so this is very exciting for him. I can see he's levitating in his chair already. I think he's wearing makeup, too. Is he? I think he's just naturally that sexy. (laughs) I'm uh, going to do my best to say something profound. Yeah, I'll I'll fit fit it in here. You just did. Actually, no, it's just audio. Literally just said something profound. (laughs) Thank you. So, people will recognize Tick's voice. He does our, our disclaimer meaning anything we say means nothing. But first, Nick Reed. Nick is a film producer and executive vice president of the Moving Picture Institute, a production company and talent incubator that creates high-impact films designed to entertain, inspire, and educate audiences with captivating stories about human freedom. And they do. We're going to go over a couple of those really cool stuff. Nick is responsible for shaping the executive fundraising strategy. This is where some of you come in working on MPI original productions and serving as a member of the executive team. His executive producer credits include Miss Virginia, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game, A Piece of Cake, which actually is a pretty funny show. Rich Somer from Mad Men is in that show. I have my own personal take with Rich Somer, I'll share with you guys. And it was official selection of Tribeca Film Festival 2020 nominee for Best Narrative Short. The Perfect One? And MPI's forthcoming original feature documentary, uh, Project Home 3D Printing the Future. Nick is currently executive uh, producing MPI's forthcoming narrative, Freedom Hair, and Kemba as well. He's a graduate of Indiana Westland University, holds a certificate of management from Georgetown. Prior to joining MPI, Nick was an executive vice president of a nonprofit organization where he oversaw the development operations of student leadership and development programs. Nick, it sounds like you've, you've really done some good things with your life and you're probably on the wrong show (laughs) sounds like it dan welcome yeah i've had i've had the privilege of working in jobs that i felt made a difference for the majority of my career and uh mpi is sort of the culmination of all of all of that and um we're having a lot of fun doing it first let me just tell you how how some of this came up uh you know this got introduced to me and I'm, i'm half paying attention to some of the pitches I get. And I'm like, Movie Picture Association. All right, I'm going to talk to those fuckers about their ratings. I, you, know, <laughs> I, you know, some of them just make no sense. And there was, it's, no, it's, it's Moving Picture Institute. I'm like, what, what is this? And then I go to your website, and I see some of the greatest shot films. I mean, they're really, really well done. Taking one of the ones you did, A, a Piece of Cake, is really about a father who generally disappoints on promises to his daughter 
and he needs to get some silver balls to put on a cake. And exactly. It goes down like a drug deal. <laughs> <laughs> and parts my cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun film. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That film actually came out of our talent development network. So half of what we do is something called our Rising Filmmaker Program, where we work with kind of up-and-coming, like-minded filmmakers. So we are a nonprofit film production company, which is pretty unique. And half of that work is talent development. So our mission is, as you very eloquently stated, is to promote human freedom and flourishing through film. So we try to inspire people with stories about individuals who have taken the freedoms they enjoy or have fought against the tyranny, perhaps, that was holding them back. And uh, getting people to think about these issues, hopefully inspire them to action, depending on what the content of the film is, or educate them on, in this case, the ridiculous nature of some of the uh, policies and piece of cake that happens in California, the uh, Rich Somer, the father. Right where these little silver balls are, are outlawed, as anything is in California, right? Because somebody might choke on one. Yeah, he's told that candy balls are outlawed in, in the state of California. He finds out later they're actually not. It's just frivolous lawsuits that basically shut down the industry, but it's hilarious. And in the process of that, I'm giving away this, the ending of the film. I hope all of your listeners will go watch it. It's still worth it. So go to our website, and you can, you can find a link there to watch it. He ends up breaking a whole litany of, of laws that he didn't even know he was breaking in, in the meantime. So it's, it's really just kind of points out how good intentions don't always manifest themselves the way that those that created those uh, regulations perhaps intended. As someone who probably does a lot of work or lives in California could say, bizarre at times. I've talked about this on the show before and not that San Francisco can't be a beautiful city. It can be if somebody's not shitting on your foot, which is, <laughs> which is legal. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but I don't smoke. But if I did smoke and I, and, I, and I tried to light up a cigarette on the street, I would, they'd probably throw me in jail and throw the jail on top of me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, these are the kinds of things that a lot of people are just completely unaware of. Or if they are, they don't know what to do about it. They're just kind of pissed off. And what we're trying to show is that there are ways, and they're actually great stories. That one doesn't show him overcoming this necessarily, but just all that he had to go through to actually, in this case, keep a promise to his daughter. Trying to be a good dad, he breaks all these laws. And Rich Somer, for, for those people who don't know who he is, he was in Mad Men. He was a tangential character, right? One of the, he was probably in the whole series almost, yeah. but never really was the focus so much. And he's a great facial actor, if, if that's a, a word or a phrase you can say. He says a lot with his face. And, yes. and he does that in this movie quite a bit. A yeah, great guy, by the way, too. Is yeah. he? Is he? Well, yeah. my encounter with him wasn't so great. <laughs> he, he, was, oh. <laughs> he was riding a, uh, one of those rent-a-bikes in New York, and my cab hit him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, oh, my. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The poor guy. He really it didn't knock him over or anything. It, it, it just... It hit his back tire or something, and it's completely the cab driver's fault. And Somer just slammed his hand on top of the cab and was like, not cool, man, not cool. <laughs> and, I, and I recognized right away, this was during the Mad Men series was still on, and I actually stuck my head out the window, and I'm like, hey, don't be mad, man. <laughs> I thought it was funny. He did not smile at all. No, no, stone-faced. No, stone yeah. yeah. No, 
but the poor guy almost got run over by a cab, as we all have. Yeah, in New York, for sure. That's what he gets for renting a bike in New York. There you go. It was a good movie, well done. As I said, the cinematography is is just really crisp, clear, nice. It's not any kind yeah. of gorilla effect. It's great. And that's really what we're about, because uh, like I said, that came out of our talent development program. So that was uh, directed and written by two very talented up and coming filmmakers, Austin and Meredith Bragg, the Bragg brothers. We've worked with them on some comedy sketches in the past. They pitched us on this through our short film lab, which anybody can apply for. You go to our website. If you've got an idea, a concept of a short film that you think would align with some form of promotion of human freedom and flourishing in the world. Go ahead and pitch us on that. We are looking for people that want to go into film full time. So that's a part of our mission as well. So the Braggs did that. We developed that with them. As you mentioned, it was, it premiered at Tribeca, which is a big deal. That film went on to have an incredible festival run, did really well in it. As a result of that, because of the great experience, we, we were talking with the Braggs. We said, hey, have you guys thought ever of doing a feature film? And they said, well, we... Gee, no, we only do shorts and make no money. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, um, they gave us probably 25 pitches. One that stuck out was called Pinball. And we just shot that film last fall. We wrapped it uh, just recently. And I can't announce it now, but it's going to be premiering at a pretty big festival this fall. It's got a bright future. It stars Mike Feist who played Riff in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Uh -huh. He was BAFTA nominated for his role in that. I, I missed the West Side Story. You should go see it. Really? I, and I'll tell you this. I'm not just saying this because Mike's in our film, but I think he steals the show. I mean, he's fantastic. I I'll see him in Pinball. How's that? There you go. If you're talking about a fall movie festival, mm, I'm going to say Toronto. That's just a guess. I will neither. Yeah, I, I, I no comment. Yeah. No comment. Only that the biggest fall film festival is Toronto. So there you go. <laughs> we'll check it out. It, it's up on the site now. You can see the trailer. I see. It'll be making its world premiere there. I can also say it'll be waking, making its uh, European premiere at some point in the near, very near future as well. Again, I'm just teasing all this because none of it's public. But bright things on the horizon for that film. It also stars Dennis Boutsakaris from Better Call Saul and Billions. Got a great cast. Crystal Reed from Swamp Thing. It's a fun film. Cool. Sort of a lighthearted drama with a bit of romance and nostalgic kind of uh, you know, set in the 1970s New York. It's highlighting a true story. A lot of people don't realize this, but pinball was illegal for 35 years in, in New York City and most other major cities in this country in New York, it was banned by LaGuardia, who was trying to crack down on the mob. So being a big man, he went after pinball machine. Pinball wow. machine. It's really hilarious. We've got actual archival photos and stuff where he uh, not only smashed the pinball machines, raided a bunch of establishments that had them, then he chucked them in into the Hudson River. That's environmentally safe. As a demonstration that he was cracking down on organized crime. Yeah. And then they took the, the legs from the pinball machines and made them into billy clubs. For the police. For the police, yeah. Cool. That's crazy. <laughs> cool. And people don't think we've come a long way. There are still some problems with some major, major problems. Now, I'm not talking about the 70s and the billy clubs there, but I was there during the Giuliani days 
when he solved yeah. the homeless problem down in Times Square, which was to say the police would take the homeless through the tunnel, drop them off, and say, don't come back. And that's how he <laughs> solved the problem. Or, or they, problem solved. Or they beat the shit out of him. He, he was a sweet. He was always just a wonderful guy, like he is today. You guys do comedies. Uh, I want to get into some of the great stuff you guys do about freedoms, because it's a lot of what we do, not just freedom of speech, but we have quite a record in China ourselves. Another comedy you have out, uh, Melons, which I thought is <laughs> very, anything with Martin Mull in it is, <laughs> is great. I would love to just direct a movie just to have Martin Mull in it. He's wonderful. He is. And that's kind of the cancel culture kind of a movie there too, right? You know, this guy makes an offhanded comment and then people just go crazy on him. Yeah, this is about a grocery store manager who innocently makes a comment to a woman who's checking out some watermelons. So you, again, not giving away the whole story, but you can kind of see where it's going there. The woman herself is not actually offended, but someone who is in line with her is offended on her behalf and decides <laughs> to start this Twitter storm, basically besmirching the, uh, the poor grocery store manager's reputation, trying to boycott, organizing a public boycott of the store, all of this. It's, it's a comedy, but yeah, it just points out the problems with cancel culture. I can't give away the whole story, but you got to watch it. It stars Brian Husky as well from Veep. He's phenomenal in it. Martin Mull's in it. Really good film. And it uh, premiered at the Cleveland International Film Festival, which is an Oscar qualifying fest. So another really, it's having a great festival run. I think it's been in uh, six other festivals since then and more to come. It does speak to the fact that uh, if you're not appropriately offended, somebody standing <laughs> behind you will appropriate your... On your behalf. On your behalf. Yes. How offended you should be, which is the world we live in now. I think a lot of what you do, which is fantastic. First, you saying bring up young writers, directors of like minds. I'm not sure what of like minds means. Everybody just wants to, in this business, just wants to get their work seen, if that's of like mind. But a lot of it's pretty dark stuff, man. You've got some real dystopian films out there. 2081, that was a work done by Kurt Vonnegut. What, yeah. what, what the world would look like if we were all equal. Nobody was smarter, nobody was stronger, nobody was anything. And then that was mandated. And that looks like a not-so-feel-good movie, but... Not so far off yeah. where we're going. But actually, that film has been very successful. It was one of the first films we made. We were founded in 2005. It's a short film, but actually that film has been adapted. If you go to teaching2081.com, we actually put together an entire curriculum to accompany that film and made it available for free to educators. So that's been used by public school teachers, private school teachers, homeschoolers, whatnot, to kind of teach this content. And as you mentioned, it kind of shows actually how, again, in many cases, this might be well-intended government bureaucrat trying to regulate everyone to create a utopian society of equality, that it actually stifles creativity and excellence in individuals. And, you know, freedom allows people to take risks, allows them to fail, but also allows them the opportunity to succeed and in doing so embetters the lives of everyone. Well said, which takes us to China. <laughs> I knew we'd get there. <laughs> I think the one thing that both Russian oligarchs and dictators like Putin and, and China 
will begrudgingly admit, what do you admire most about America? They kind of land on innovation. It's how innovative that we are and how quickly we can be innovative. And just look at the pandemic and how innovative and quickly we came up with the best drugs for it. Nobody else in the world could do that. But you could name thousands of things that we are very innovative with, and that comes directly back to freedom. Absolutely. No, it, it does. And, and we have, in our history, we've produced or been a part of producing about 40 films. 15 of those are MPI original films that we produced ourselves, and we've got a number of on, on, on our slate. In the earlier days, we, we did a lot of MPI-supported films where we were a part of the production, but not completely producing them because we started very small and we've expanded rapidly over that time. One of the films, if you go to our website, you can see it's called State of Control, which oh, is a I documentary. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I mean, well, it, there you go. Oof, oof. I don't actually need to go into all of it. It's a couple of filmmakers that went into China around the Beijing Olympics. Really, the story developed in a completely different way than they had anticipated because they were immediately flagged by the CCP. They were followed. They were harassed. As one it's is. Really compelling documentary. I encourage everybody to check it out. We should connect you with Lawway 86 he's, he's got like a million YouTube followers. And he was, he was the first YouTuber in China. And it kind of shows... 15 years ago, YouTube was kind of in its infancy or not as popular, and he was pretty unfettered in his access to talking to people and how dramatically that changed. And now you're talking about a couple of filmmakers who just want to go to Tibet and talk to people about how they feel. That's right. And there are protests going on and people just getting the hell beat out of them. Throughout yeah, absolutely. To the point where they were afraid for their own lives. Sure. They were They should have been. Not only followed night and day, but when they weren't in the rooms that yeah. they were staying in their hotels, their rooms were raided on a daily basis. Somehow the Chinese government had actually hacked into their all of their accounts, deleted their entire email account. I mean it was <laughs> somehow <laughs> they control the internet in China. I'm not sure that took a lot of effort on their part. I mean, well, and, and not to diverge away from China here, but really, that's really why we exist, is to expose these types of stories so that people understand what's going on in the world. Well, I'm glad you do. And I want to talk about yeah. that as part of Hollywood. You really kind of are. You make movies and people would identify that with Hollywood. I've got a little bit of a background there with the China hustle. and it, interesting because you had some of the biggest names in Hollywood producing this and making this, Frank Marshall from Kennedy Marshall, and Mark Cuban bought it. But because it was so negative on China, neither one of them would show up to a premiere, not in Toronto, not anywhere, not get a picture taken, for fear that the born identity wouldn't sell in China, right? Because, or whatever Indiana Jones thing that Frank Marshall's putting out next. And we're complicit here. We really are. When we, when we just, we won't even show up in a picture that might offend the PRC right. government. This has nothing to do with the people of China who we're in it with them altogether, but it does have something to do with the government of China. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons we exist. We make stories that others aren't going to tell. 
And in doing so, we, we're very careful about it, though. We're not trying to hit people over the head or we're not propagandizing people. We're really telling just true human stories. Most of our films now are more on the narrative side of things rather than the documentary side. Both are very powerful, but narrative films have the potential to reach wider audience. Just in general, there's a, a bigger marketplace for that. Yeah. And if you can connect with a character, you can put yourself in their shoes. You start to think about things a little bit differently than if you're reading an article in a newspaper or a white paper from a think tank. We've seen real, uh, real impact from our films, and we've heard real testimonials of individuals who have written to us or decided they were going to get involved in, in shaping something on their local level. For example, our film Miss Virginia starring Uzo Aduba from Orange is the New Black and a litany of other things since then is about equity in education. When we created that film, we were very careful. We didn't want it to be a public policy film, even though it touches on education reform. We wanted it to be about really how education, if you're going to have public education in the country, it's really a civil rights issue. You shouldn't yeah. have to go to a really bad school just because you're born into a particular zip code. Right. And this is, it's a true story about a woman who, who had a, a son who was stuck in a really bad school. And she worked with a bipartisan group of individuals from the, the mayor of Washington, D.C. Because she was in D.C., she, she actually go to the U.S. Congress and ended up being victorious. And her story has inspired communities across the country to do similar things in their communities. So it's a, it's a great, that again, stars Uzo Aduba, stars Matthew Modine, if you haven't watched Stranger Things 4. He plays a huge role in that as Papa. He's, he's been around. Go check it out. One, three, and four. One, three, and four he plays yeah. pretty big roles in. <laughs> For sure. He was also in that wrestling movie. What was that? Uh, Extra Points. Oh, Who gets crap. it? With Linda Ferentino, right? Oh. You losers. How could you not? Oh, I, oh. I got it, buddy. What is it? Oh. <laughs> yeah, you do? You're just going to pop right he, up He was later. in the Dark Knight, right? Yeah, yeah. A he, lot of people get that, but he had a great Vision role in Quest. That. Oh. That's right. Vision Quest. Oh, Vision Quest, of course, yeah. Yeah. What's most, a, most uh, uh, memorable, perhaps, is Sergeant Joker back. That's oh, right. That's right. Oh. Still, one, still one of my all-time favorites. Is all -time favorite. you, John yeah. Wayne? Is yeah. this me? <laughs> <laughs> it's great how you could have, as you were saying, you're making a, narr a narrative rather than just a straight documentary. When really it is a documentary using actors to be the narrator and character that you can connect with, I think that's a much better way to go. It makes it much more entertaining than a straightforward documentary. I've watched documentaries on education before. It's a third rail. You had to be very, very careful and have a lot of meetings on how this narrative itself would go. Uh, do you remember the documentary Waiting for Superman? Of course. You yeah. do. Can you find it anywhere? You never see it streaming or playing anywhere, and it really is about the school system, right? Waiting for Superman. Unfortunately, portrays some teachers in a negative light. You have tenure, right. you know, sleeping on the job or inner city schools or whatever. There's, I think, an effort to, like, have this movie out there in the mainstream. Most people, you're in the business, so I guess you've seen it. Most people have not, and it was, it was a really great piece of documentary filmmaking, I thought. Did you? 
Yeah, it was, a, I think, an important film at the time, and it actually had a lot of leg when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I, you're right. I, I guess I haven't really searched for it recently, but now that you mention it, I haven't seen it around much. I'm not sure why that is. I think one thing that we're very careful on, and I think you're pointing out here, is that some people, when they want to make a film to make a particular point or drive a particular message home, they, they take a negative approach. Right. We've decided not to do that. Why alienate your audience before they even watch it? We're not trying to tell people how to think or what to think. We're trying to hopefully educate them on a particular issue that they either care about or weren't aware about and to get the conversation going. And from there, again, if you live in a free society that allows for an open exchange of ideas and opinions, you have to have faith in the people themselves that hopefully it will get them to start researching the issue on their own and really look at it on their own local level. Because most issues, the problem is it's easier for a, um, you know, someone in Washington to decide, oh, I've got the solution. This is what needs to be done for everybody. But at the end of the day, most issues really are different on the local level because every community is different. Every community has different individuals, different needs, different problems. Mm-hmm. And we need people to take initiative. If we want freedom to endure, we need individuals on the local level taking initiative and uh, participating in all of the civil aspects that go on in a, it in a society. It seems way too reasonable. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Which brings me to another film. I, I, go ahead. I'm just going with the flow here. I did not have this mapped out, but we, um, one of the projects I'm excited about that we're working on, we haven't produced it yet, but we uh, secured the rights to a book series called One Second After, a best-selling New York Times book series by Bill Forstgen, which talks about the aftermath of an EMP attack. It follows a rural community in North Carolina. It's a great book series. We're working with Joe Michael Straczynski, the author and the creator of Babylon 5. He wrote World War Z, the Brad Pitt zombie movie. He's the creator of Sense8, which is another show on Netflix. Really, really talented guy on this, but it gets into all kinds of issues because after the EMP, it destroys all the infrastructure, right? No power, no electricity, the hospitals don't work. And so it deals with all of these issues as to how, how does a community come together and deals with mob mentality? You know, how do people work together in cooperation to build a society and that functions it hopefully gets people to start thinking about like all that they take for granted in terms of the infrastructure that we've got that allows our, our freedoms to actually function at some limited level. Oh, Talk about America being an exceptional place, but these are the kinds of things that the people that you know, put together the U.S. Constitution had to wrestle with. It sounds like The Walking Dead without <laughs> zombies. <laughs> because... I mean, the reality is, I don't really watch that show anymore. I mean, I've seen plenty of it, but the thing you had to worry about most were the people that were alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great show, by the way. <laughs> it's gotten a little long in the tooth, and I get it. You got to watch out for the zombies around the corner, but really, you got to watch out for the guy who's going to shoot you in the back of the head for a little more power in a community where, where that matters. And after an EMP attack, it's not just that all the lights go off, it's the cascading effect of the lights That's going right. off and dams overflowing and 
flooding a community or whatever. I can just I can just see the movie. Yeah, in my all head their right food now. supplies, for example, are rotting now because there's no refrigeration. Yeah. They they don't have a food supply chain anymore because none of the trucks are shipping anything. It, it's it's a lot like a zombie film without the zombies. That's a good characterization of. You've got to go out and find. And how do you survive? Yeah, find that crazy guy that was always talking about this crap and had the something that. Yeah, yeah. He had a paint bucket that he called the toilet. I mean, you know, you're like, hey, where's that bucket? I'm not saying that's Carl, but, you know, Carl. You- yeah, it, it gets into all kinds of things, not only food rationing, but medical rationing, right? All of the supply of medications. Sure. Think of all the people that rely on particular life-saving drugs yeah, or whatever it. it might be. All of a sudden, they have to figure all that stuff out, right? Who gets it? Who doesn't? How do they make those decisions? It's uh, it really deals with a lot of relevant issues. I can solve it for you. Who gets it? And who doesn't? The person <laughs> with the gun. Every time. <laughs> that plays into it. Yeah. Well, of course it does. It's sad, but sad but true. And there, yeah. there seem to be plenty of those around. Again, at Carl's <laughs> house. We're gonna look for that. What's it? What's it called? One second after. One second yeah. after. The film industry is hard enough as it is, especially with independent film. So with a nonprofit film production company like MPI, I knew that Rob's vision was really an ambitious one. That's really what drove me to get involved is I knew that it was a challenge that if we were successful could be extremely rewarding. And we've taken MPI really since its founding and turned it into a a company. Now we have uh, relationships with major industry studios. We're co-producing films with BET right now. Got films on over a thousand digital streaming platforms. We've got deals with stars, Netflix, you know, go down the list. So I wouldn't say that we've arrived, but we are arriving and people are learning about us. I'm so glad you've learned about us, and we can't wait to make more films uh, and get them out there. Well, with, with so many streaming platforms, they're dying for content, too. Good content. There's some real crap out there. What I saw you guys do, I didn't really come across one stinker. And I, I mean, I looked at like 10 of them, and they all look like, Maybe some were up my alley, maybe some weren't, but they were all like well done, produced well, acted. You've got some serious actors in there. How is it? Is that difficult to do to get some of that talent? I guess Martin Mull isn't like you know really in demand <laughs> unless I'm producing it. But you've got some pretty decent actors uh, showing up for you, Matthew Modine, like you said. Yeah, you know our biggest challenge, I would say, is actually budget. What's the average budget? Uh, for a feature, around $5 million. Oh, my God. But that's, compare that to Hollywood. You're, they're making $100 million films right now. One episode of Stranger Things. Look at the budget. It's CGI. A lot of that's, I mean, you guys aren't CGI heavy at all, if at all, if any. Right. But I'll just say the reason why I think we're able to uh, attract these uh, the talent that we are, and it's this is what they tell us. It's it starts with a great story, a good script, and they want to be a part of meaningful stories. 
it's different. The work, you know, the films that we're putting out are different than they're typically involved in. And a lot of our stories are true stories, not all of them. It's an opportunity for them to be a part of something that, uh, that they connect with on a personal level. How much, how much of that $5 million budget generally goes to talent? Not as much as you'd think. No, I actually would think it couldn't <laughs> be 10, 15%. On a film, just think if you're basically running a small business for, you know, 12 to 15 month period. Right. Even on a small independent nonprofit film budget for a narrative feature, you know, you're probably employing 250 people between the crew, the cast, the caterers. There's so much that goes into film production that people don't really think about when they watch a film. Locations, yeah. I would not say, no, with our films, it's not top-heavy on cast. But, of course, we, you, know, you have to pay people well. A lot of that's set by, by actual uh, you know, SAG rates and things like that. So, of course, they can negotiate up. That's one of the reasons Tom Cruise isn't in our films at the current moment. Well, um, just don't make a film about Scientology. <laughs> and you won't have a problem. We'd love to have Tom, though, if he's listening. Yeah, yeah. No, listen. <laughs> Call me, Tom. I talk about Scientologists, call me Tom. Yeah, exactly. Tick, I mean, how exciting is this for you? How many script ideas do you have for Nick right now? In our pipeline, we're continually uh, building it. So he's full tick. He just said, don't send it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a website for that. You know, I promise we'll read it. (laughs) I've got an idea about activist short sellers who continually lose money. <laughs> it's a true story. Based yeah. On a true story. Whatever we say, people buy. That's not how it's supposed to work. You haven't done much on Wall Street, have you? Do you have any uh, stories going out on Wall Street? Uh, not on Wall Street in particular. We've done stuff on economics, though. In fact, we did a, a cartoon series to educate it was actually geared at high school students, but it's been used even in middle school. Basics of how to build an economy. If you go to fisheconomics.com, again, that one, that's one of our educational content pieces. It's done really well. It's a cartoon series based on a book following these uh, castaways that are stranded on an island that have to build an economy from scratch. So fish economics, you can kind of see where it's going with that. But it deals with everything from monetary policy to... How much fish are worth? The banking system. I don't think we get into Wall Street there, but... Well, you know, (laughs) a lot of our audience is financial and, and Wall Street. So for all of you frustrated writers out there that are sick of people not paying attention to your story about, you know, drugs, prostitution, and what you do on your spare time... Yeah, send it off to Nick. I'm sure that'll make for a great story that nobody will pay attention to. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, what, what's next for you guys? Uh, what can you tell us? How can we reach you? So you can go to movingpictureinstitute.com or you can go to org. Both are the same. Uh, MPI.org is probably the easiest. And you can see all of our uh, films that have been released, where you can watch them. You can also see kind of a sneak peek of what's coming. Melons, for example, the one you just mentioned, is not out publicly yet because it's still in its festival run. We actually had a film 
comedy series uh, called We're Doing Good that was uh, that premiered at South by Southwest, and we were up against um, HBO and FX, so stiff competition there. Uh, yeah. It's a great comedy series about a couple trying to do good in the world, deals with you know virtue signaling <laughs> and woke culture. Yeah, really funny, uh, really good. It's having a really successful run. In fact, I think we'll be releasing one of those episodes in the very near future. So your your listeners can check that out. What What is it called again? We're doing good. Oh, there it is. I see it. I see it. Car- yeah. Carl's got it up on time, actually. They're the ones wearing Scouts, the uh, yeah. scout uniforms. Exactly. Yeah. A couple of other projects. Uh, we're going to be shooting two features this fall in Atlanta. One is called Freedom Hair. It's uh, written by Diane Houston, who's an, uh, actually an Oscar-nominated writer, director. It's a true story about a woman named Melanie Armstrong, who lived in the state of Mississippi. Her husband was a, a, is a pastor. She's actually an executive producer on the film. She just wanted to, she had an entrepreneurial streak. She wanted to start a hair braiding salon for African-American women in her community. And she found out in the process of doing that, that the state of Mississippi would require her to go to three years of cosmetology school (laughs) and all kinds of red tape and and regulations. She went through all of that, despite the fact that the cosmetology school she went to, not a single class dealt with African hair braiding. Makes sense. She ended up starting her hair salon and then was actually working with a, a battered women's shelter and said, hey, a lot of these women, I could teach them how to do this. They could start their own small businesses and start to become self-sufficient, but they don't have the money or the time to do what I did. So she worked with the Institute for Justice, filed a civil rights lawsuit. Uh, They ended up winning. So it's an inspirational story, opened up this avenue. Now I think it's a $25 registration fee in the state to start a business like this. There are now hundreds of these businesses Again, it's just about how when you remove the red tape and the barriers to individuals, be able to you know, put their God-given talents to use, society can flourish and everyone can benefit from it. Yeah. Should... And then, and then um, our next film I have to mention is called Kemba. It's a true story. We're co-producing that with BET. This one kind of points out the flaws in our criminal justice system. True story about a woman back in the 1990s who, while in college, fell in in love with this guy. He ended up being a drug dealer who was being uh, followed by the feds. She was unaware of this. And essentially, in the process of the feds going after him, he ended up getting shot. So since he was dead, they had to have somebody else to hang all of his crimes on, so they prosecuted her. She was pregnant, very young, sentenced to like 27 years in prison, and uh, it just shows, you know, how we really need this to. Is this a documentary or a narrative story? No, as well? this is a narrative, narrative feature. Good. It's going to be very good. You do have a film on there. A lot of people have seen this before, but it just never ceases to amaze me. It's incarcerating U.S. Yes. The, the stat that, you know, 25% of the world's prison population is, is here in the United States when 5% of the world's population is actually here totally. And it always gets thrown out there that we have more more prisoners here in the United States than China. I would point out that China d- 
does shoot a lot more people in the head. Less incentive, less incentive to be a criminal. <laughs> That's true. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it is true. But it doesn't make us any better. And every once in a while, it becomes a big topic. I'll call it every five years, how it's prison for profit and, and we're putting drug users or the addicted, the sick, who really need our help, we're putting them in prison. We don't have really mental health facilities anymore, so prisons have become insane asylums yeah. as well. At one point or another, please vote for somebody that has some common sense over these issues that mental health as well as drug addiction are not reasons to incarcerate somebody for 20 years. I mean, and if you're mentally ill, they usually stay there the rest of their lives because they can't function. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a number of films that deal with that. You mentioned incarcerating us. We also have a uh, film we're working on right now that working title is A Clean Slate, but it's actually highlighting um, a program in Milwaukee, which is an expungement experiment, basically dealing with a lot of these um, kind of misdemeanor offenses that have been given ridiculous prison sentences and the cost that that is to the U.S. taxpayer, nonviolent offenders kind of a path to uh, re-entering society and highlights, again, just some of the flaws in our current criminal justice system. And again, we're not necessarily saying this is what the solution is, but th these, are, these are important well, issues I mean, that the, need the, the to be. The statistics speak for themselves at a certain point right. in time. And yes. the reality is, like you're talking about the cost of taxpayers. When you talk to somebody who's, who's been incarcerated for any amount of time, the cost inflicted on them post-incarceration Financial costs, like, right, they just keep getting charged money for parole for this. I mean, you're on parole. You're having a hard time getting a job, and they're charging you money to be on parole. The, the whole thing is ridiculous and needs to Absolutely. be rethought, but we digress. Anyway, I, yeah. think, I think you have a great product. I, I'm, I'm going to be a frequent user. Everybody should check out MPI. Do you have a Twitter handle? Should they, should they follow you on Twitter? Do you have that? We do. Do you, want to, um, do you want to just tell me what it is, Andrew, rather than us guessing? I don't know what it is, but I was on it uh, Useless. Yeah. Oh, Carl's <laughs> alpha dog and Andrew calling him useless. I can't believe that. Don't be jealous, Carl. All right. We will, we will put out your Twitter handle when, Thank we, you. when we publish. I know that you want most people to just go to your site because they can buy your movies on your site, yeah. right? So that's the cool yeah, um, part of it. Some of them, yeah, some of them they can buy. Yeah, we've got links. A lot of them are on, you know, other major platforms. So um, we don't usually sell direct through our website, but it'll take you to the link where they, you know, if it's on Netflix, you can watch it if you're already a Netflix subscriber. Some of our films are on major you know, TV networks where you can watch it or on, you know, almost all of them are on iTunes or Apple TV, uh, Google Play, you know, Amazon Prime and cool. the like. Cool. Well, Nick Reed, thank you for joining us. For those of you who uh, who enjoyed the show, please give us a like. Please give us a retweet. If you didn't enjoy the show, I don't care. So don't listen. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye. Dan, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Nick.